Anti-government protests began in Syria almost 17 months ago, and in that time, the Syrian government has blocked foreigners from entering the country, so it's been difficult to get a sense of what's happening as the protests have turned to sustained violence and what's being called a civil war. Joining me now is someone who has snuck into Syria and spent weeks there uh, during April and May, traveling through 23 towns and villages and collecting accounts of what's been happening. Donatella Rivera is Senior Crisis Advisor for Amnesty International, which published her report on the situation last month. I'm very pleased to welcome her to today's underreported segment. Hi. Thank you. Now, is it difficult to sneak in? Uh, it depends on the day. It, I mean, on the whole, getting into the country is not uh, too difficult. Uh, it's then being able to move and to work within the country without being detected, uh, because obviously being there illegal, that was the greatest danger for myself and for the people that I was interviewing and investigating. You travel mainly in the north of the country, in the Idlib and Aleppo provinces along the Turkish border. Has that been an opposition stronghold? Um, there is certainly a, a presence of the of the opposition forces, and in the last months, um, opposition forces have kind of um, gained more ground there. But for example, when I was in Aleppo, it was at the end of May. Aleppo was completely in the hands of the government. Um, there was absolutely no armed opposition of, of any sort in the town, and I watched every day as uh, peaceful demonstrations were happening, and demonstrators were being shot with live rounds by the security forces. Um, in one single day, 10 were killed uh, and several more were injured, including children. Um, well, did you speak to people and uh, say, you know, there's a good chance you're going to be killed if you protest? Why are you going out there? Um, yes. I mean, it, what was interesting is that really Aleppo is a microcosm of what Syria was over a year ago. Um, just peaceful demonstrators going out every day, knowing absolutely that they take um, a very real risk and yet uh, being prepared to do so. Um, very, very determined young demonstrators. Do you think that uh, the, um, the the military crackdown is uh, involves government forces um, acting on their own, as the government has suggested, or is this a concerted government policy? Um, look, I, I investigated the human rights abuses, including war crimes and crimes against humanity, in 23 towns and villages, and everywhere I found similar patterns, taking young men uh, out of their homes, um, summarily executing them, burning their bodies, burning hundreds of houses. Um, this was too... Um, too similar. Uh, there was too much of a pattern for it to be considered the individual sort of uh, uh, initiative of, of rogue elements. It certainly pointed to state policy. And a striking uh, f part of the report is the indiscriminate nature of the killings that you heard about men, women, children, the elderly. Were they trying to intimidate people in order to find activists or just to terrorize everyone? Um, yes, obviously most of those who were who were killed were were young men, but there were also women and old elderly men and and children. And that was the the sort of the hallmark of the military operation that were conducted between sort of February from February onwards, where uh, they really sort of uh, moved on to a different stage and where it became a lot more indiscriminate. The aim seemed to be to take revenge, to intimidate the communities, um, to sort of try to intimidate them into submission. Often uh, either the corpses or the buildings where the victims were shot were burned. Is, is that tactic being used throughout the country? 
Uh, that tactic has been used everywhere um, I've been. Uh, I've seen that in some cases. I mean, the burning of homes was on a large scale. The burning of bodies, it was one or two cases everywhere. Again, as if, you know, it wanted to, to sort of like make an example of some cases. Well, they forced people to evacuate their homes and then had them stand there and watch the house being burned down to the ground. Uh, yes, I spoke to women with small, ch- small children in several villages who said that they uh, tried to plead with the soldiers or simply refused to leave and they were told that they would be burned alive with their children in the house if they didn't live. Searching for deserting soldiers was a justification that the army used many times in the stories that you collected. Do you have a sense of how many soldiers are defecting? There has certainly been more defection in um, in recent weeks. Um, it, you know, obviously thousands of soldiers have defected um, over the months, and that seems to have uh, picked a pace um, in, in recent weeks, yeah. Many injured people were unable to get medical treatment for hours before they were uh, stuck outside, uh, because they were stuck outside uh, as firing and shelling continued. And in a few towns, the pharmacies, hospitals, and clinics were burned to the ground. Yes, the targeting of both medical facilities and uh, and, and the doctors and the medics who provide uh, medical care uh, was systematic in all the villages and the towns where I was. And just uh, three weeks ago in Aleppo, three young men who were part of a network that provided medical care in secret apartments for injured demonstrators were arrested, uh, tortured, uh, shot in the head, and their bodies were burned. These were three um, university students, you know, medical students. My guest is Donatella Rivera, Senior Crisis Advisor for Amnesty International, which published a report on the situation in Syria last month. And we have a link to that report on our show page at WNYC.org. Some of these policies seem to not be new. Torture, that's something that's been going on throughout the, the history of the Assad government, father and son. Um, absolutely. Torture is something that goes back not just years but decades. Um, and uh, certainly since the beginning of the uprising of the protest movement 17 months ago, um, it was then systematically used against anybody who was thought in any way to be opposed to the government. What we've seen over the 17 months is that initially it was sort of the targeting of people who were thought to support the opposition. In recent months, it has become a lot more indiscriminate. And often in situations like this, rape and violence, indiscriminate rape and violence, Uh, are used. Uh, You don't uh, report on that, but the Atlantic, in partnership with the Women's Media Center, released a report this week using accounts of Syrian women detailing sexual abuse and rape uh, by the uh, the government forces, although um, others have claimed that uh, the opposition has also been doing that sort of thing. We have heard uh, reports of um, rape and sexual abuse of both men and women, of both people who were in detention and people who were simply in their homes when they were attacked by government forces. Um, we haven't received, as of now, reports of rape by opposition forces, although I don't exclude that this could be happening. Well, has the opposition been totally uh blameless in in the way they've been approaching this? Uh, No, the armed opposition has certainly not been blameless. They have also committed abuses in recent months. 
um, for now, those abuses have remained more at the level of individual uh, cases. But there is certainly a danger that as the opposition gets stronger and as um, there is more and more hatred because of some of the absolutely unspeakable atrocity committed by uh, government troops, um, that, the, you know, that there would be more acts of revenge by uh, opposition forces as well. Well, defenders of the Assad government argue that he has been the, the a protector of minority rights in Syria and that uh, opposition are mainly uh, engaged in an attempt for a, a total Sunni takeover. Uh, yes, that is certainly what the what the government uh, and and uh, and government supporters have have been arguing. What we've seen is from day one uh, was actually you know the first who were targeted in this in this repression were children. That's how it all started with some graffiti scrawled on the on on the wall of a school and the children being detained and tortured. And at the at the beginning, it started with. Uh, ordinary people going out and and protesting and being and being shot uh, and the government has done everything it can to keep um, journalists and human rights organizations out of Syria. So if they have nothing to hide, I think that they should be opening the doors for us all to go and see what's happening and then we can um, get more information. Did you have any close calls? Were there uh, were you did you ever fear that you'd be captured? Uh, well, I mean, you know, it, obviously I was moving around and I was moving around a lot in, into, you know, large part of the countries. I was there illegally. So, yeah, that was always a possibility on, on a daily basis. Yeah. It's my sense that uh, in many t- in towns and villages, some of the ones that you visited, people who were not even engaged in opposition, but just trying to go through their everyday lives would suddenly find themselves caught up in the violence. Uh, so is there any place where you can have a sense of normalcy in Syria these days? Uh, not anymore. I mean, I think Aleppo was probably the last uh, city where there were, you know, there were no checkpoints. Uh, life was, uh, you know, still fairly normal when I was there. It's become a lot more difficult now. Um, um, so, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people who were just going about their daily life found themselves homeless because their homes were burned down. They had their relatives uh, killed, murdered in front of them. Um, that has certainly not worked in terms of intimidating people. It has. It, it seems to have uh, made people more determined in their opposition, though. A lot of pressure has been put on the Assad government from the UN, from uh, most uh, European countries. Even Russia today, uh, yesterday, I think, announced that uh, it was going to apply some pressure on Assad to change some of these policies. Uh, do you see much of a uh, hope of change? Uh, Unfortunately, uh, the pressure has come too little and too late. Uh, The international community failed rather spectacularly to address the problem uh, over a year ago when the situation was much less complex and there was a more realistic possibility um, to influence a positive resolution. Um, Things have developed and, you know, in, in, in a different way. Now there is an an open arm conflict. Um, It is very necessary for the international community to come together for Russia to stop opposing um, action uh, to pressure the the government Um, because without that you know, so long as the international community remains as divided as it is, it won't be possible to bring about uh, effective pressure. You were there in April and May. Has the situation changed much since? Um, the situation was changing in the last week that I was there in terms of sort of more daring 
um, military operation by the uh, armed opposition. And certainly things have escalated uh, significantly during the months of June and, and, and um, yeah, in the last six or seven weeks. And we've been seeing uh, a growing number of defections from the government, from the military. Uh, do you think that's having an impact? Um, well, I mean, if the factions continue at this pace, uh, we've also seen some sort of different quality of the factions. Um, you know, it, it probably will have some sort of impact, uh, undoubtedly. Donatella Rivera is Senior Crisis Advisor for Amnesty International. Uh, she visited Syria secretly uh, f- uh, in uh, May, uh, through May, right? Uh, and is back now to tell the story. Uh, are you planning to go back? Um, it's possible. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't want the Syrian government to know your plans. Thank you so much for being on our show today. Thank you.